Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, Rebel Roundup. Now, if you like listening to this podcast, then you would love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our long-format TV-style shows here on The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my weekly show, as well as other great TV-style shows, too. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for podcast listeners, you can also save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support Rebel News without spending a dime. And now, enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, as Russia continues its invasion of Ukraine, let it be said that if you are anti-pipeline and if you are anti-fossil fuels, then you are, by default, pro-Putin. Sheila Gunn-Reed shall explain all. And how do you like this? The city of Hamilton, Ontario has come out with a new vaccine policy giving city workers until May 31st, 2022 to be fully vaccinated or provide proof of an approved medical exemption. Anyone who fails to do so will face termination. But unlike so many other unions that are complicit with such policies, the Amalgamated Transit Union, Local 107 in Hamilton, is going to bat for its members and is actually challenging the city's draconian vax policy. Tamara Ugolini has all the details. And letters, we get your letters. We get them every minute of every day. And you had plenty to say about Brampton Mayor Sneaky Patrick Brown losing yet again. Remember how he prevented kids from uh, using Brampton rec facilities while he played hockey with his buddies? and had yours truly arrested for trespassing simply for practicing journalism? Well, we had our day in court recently. Spoiler alert, we won and Brown lost again. Loving it. Those are your rebels. Now let's round them up. You just told me you signed my petition. Yes. Uh, That's the one to Joe Biden. Yes. From this morning for the uh, Excel uh, pipeline. And so I hope that we in Alberta get our work back and that we get our oil. For years, Canada has been importing oil from other countries when we have enough oil right here within this province. We need to push them now to stop war. You can blame Biden. Like, I'm not a big Trump supporter, but I guarantee if Trump was in there, Ukraine would not have been invaded. I guarantee that. Aujourd'hui, on annonce en plus notre. 
Today, we are announcing our intention to ban all imports of crude oil from Russia, an industry that has benefited President Putin and his oligarchs greatly. Sheila Gunn-Reed for Rebel News, and I'm back here in my home studio, but the video you're going to see was filmed over the weekend at the Alberta Legislature at the Weekly Freedom Protest. Now, while I was there, I saw dozens of Ukrainian flags in amongst the signs of people who come out every single week in the capital city to protest COVID-19 restrictions. And that should really come as no surprise if you know something about Western Canada. Outside of Ukraine and Russia, Canada has the largest population of people of Ukrainian descent, and most of those people live out here on the prairies, which made it so crazy for CBC to have claimed that the Freedom Convoy to Ottawa, which was led by Westerners, was some kind of Russian-backed operation. Remember this? Given Canada's support of Ukraine in this current crisis with Russia, it, I don't know if it's far-fetched to ask, but, but there is concern that Russian actors could be continuing to fuel things uh, as, this, as this protest grows, but perhaps even instigating it from, from the outset. Now, that claim was too ridiculous. Even for the CBC, they ultimately ended up having to walk it back in shame. But while I was at the legislature on that other story, I thought I would ask the people with Ukrainian flags what they thought about America and Canada helping fund the Russian war machine by purchasing Russian oil when we just have so darn much oil here in Alberta that we can't get to market because of blocked, stalled, or canceled pipelines. President Joe Biden canceled Keystone XL pipeline when it was nearly complete. It would pump enough oil every single day to offset Russian imports and then some, while creating Canadian and American jobs. Now, you can sign our petition to President Joe Biden, calling on him to immediately allow Keystone XL to be completed, and we will hand-deliver that petition to the American consulate in Calgary. Just go to buildkeystonexl.com, sign it, share it, we'll do the rest. The Energy East pipeline was euthanized through onerous regulations created by the Liberals here in Canada. That pipeline would have taken ethical Canadian oil to the Irving Oil Refinery in St. John, New Brunswick. Currently, Canada imports about half a billion and a little bit more dollars worth of Russian oil each year. That was at least until yesterday, Monday, when Justin Trudeau made that announcement to cancel Russian oil imports, something he should have done a long time ago instead of landlocking Freedom Oil from here in Alberta. But credit where it's due, it's a good move, long overdue. But hopefully it's a realization for the Liberals that every barrel of oil that they import from a dictatorship, instead of using Alberta oil, is soaked in blood. Freedom oil. Wow, that has a great ring to it, doesn't it, folks? And make no mistake, if you are anti-pipeline and if you are anti-fossil fuels, then guess what? This means you are, by default, pro Putin as he carries out a brutal attack against Ukraine. Sorry, greenies, that's just the way it is. And joining me now is our chief reporter, Sheila Gunn-Reed. How you doing there, Sheila? I'm great, David. Thanks for having me on the show. Fantastic. Always a pleasure. Sheila, with Justin Trudeau as prime minister and with Joe Biden as U.S. president, we really have two incredibly weak leaders who share a hate on for domestic oil and gas, ostensibly because they want to reduce our nation's carbon footprints. Yet, look at the end result, Sheila, the price of the pump in Canada, it's heading towards two bucks a liter, while Russia is being so enriched thanks to oil going beyond $110 US a barrel that Putin is now able to easily finance his war with Ukraine. So, Sheila, 
this is infuriating beyond words for me because at the end of the day, the energy policies of Trudeau and Biden have nothing to do with saving the world and everything to do with meaningless virtue signaling as innocent people die. What say you? You know, this has been a long game for the environmentalist movement, but also for Putin. In all of this, the environmentalist movement have been useful idiots yeah. for the Soviets. They really have been, or, or at least for the the new Soviet Union, the new Russian imperialism. Um, there have been congressional reports that say for years, the Russians have been using uh, an offshore holding company to dump money into environmentalist mega charities in San Francisco, where all of these things are headquartered. Yep. One of them was the Tides Foundation. The other one, I think, is called Sea Change. And from there, that money is greenwashed, basically, and spread out, and it funds the domestic anti-fracking and anti-pipeline movement. And that has been the real Russian meddling in Western politics for a very long time. And it has worked really well using well-meaning Western idiots to get the job done for them. The Russians needed to make sure that Ru Canadians and Americans never became so energy independent that they would export liquefied natural gas to Europe because they need that stranglehold on Europe and particularly Germany, yep. who buys, uh, I think it's 40% of their uh, natural gas comes directly from Russia, from Gazprom. And so they were able to manipulate geopolitics by having so many countries in Europe beholden to them. And all of that happened because the Western world was hamstrung by the environmentalist movement. And that's the Green New Deal in the United States, and that is the liberal carbon tax, anti-pipeline, gender theory crammed into every energy policy uh, happening here in Canada. All of that, the green movement, the people who are right now running around with Ukrainian flags in their Twitter bios, they did this through their green policies. You're 100% right. And talk about bait and switch. When Joe Biden was running for president, Sheila, you remember he passed himself off as a moderate. And once he assumed power, uh, it was abundantly clear that he was this progressive, uh, almost American Marxist, if you will. And I don't exaggerate. In the first week of taking office, he killed the Keystone XL deal. And it's just amazing. Uh, just a few days ago, there was the State of the Union address, Sheila, but he didn't address anything about how to get out of this quagmire. And it's doubly tragic that when Donald Trump was president, the U.S. was energy self-sufficient for more uh, for more than 70 years. And yet last year, the Biden administration imported 232 million barrels of Russian oil. Again, going back to my premise that that's what's funding this war against Ukraine. Sure. I mean, Joe Biden fancies himself to be Joe Lunchbucket. He's never been working class, but he thought of himself as a working class, pro-union kind of guy. When, as we know, it's 
always been Donald Trump, who was the blue-collar billionaire, uh, probably more comfortable with the guys on, you know, in the hard hats than he was with the business guys. Um, but Biden, in his first act on the job, he canceled the very nearly complete Keystone XL pipeline. Yep. That is something that Donald Trump made a point to push forward as quickly as he could. Um, and that pipeline would take oil from Alberta, from the oil sands through Hardesty, Alberta, small town along the pipeline route to um, refineries in America and then export if be need be. That pipeline, if it were operational today, would be flowing 830,000 barrels mm. of clean, ethical Canadian oil every single day. Instead, Joe Biden canceled it. He canceled American jobs, which is doesn't align with his uh, blue collar Joe lunch bucket persona. He canceled Canadian jobs and he continues to fund the Russian war machine because every day, I think it's about 600,000 barrels of Russian oil come into the United States. The Keystone XL pipeline would offset that and then some while adding capacity um, which drives down the cost of living and the price of uh, gas in the United States. By reigniting that pipeline, it addresses a whole host of issues. It creates American jobs, it offsets Russian oil, drives the cost of living down. But Biden won't do it because he's beholden to the green side of the Democrats. And it's gotten so bad in the United States that Joe can't, there's no, I guess, uh, escape hatch from this bad idea of killing Keystone XL, that he was taken to pleading with OPEC, the world's other oligarchs and dictators, yes. to increase capacity because the price of oil was going up so fast in the United States and increasing the cost of living, while he simultaneously pulled permits on American drilling and yep. canceled that one cross-border pipeline. The solution is so Simple. Drill, drill, drill. Frack, frack, frack. Flood the market. Starve the Russian oil machine. Create American and Canadian jobs and address inflation. But he just won't do it because he wants to kiss butt to the AOC wing of the party. You're, you're so right, Sheila. That's what I was hoping to hear in his State of the Union address instead of, uh, you know, getting uh, Iranians confused with Ukrainians as the Jeez. victims of the Russian invasion. But here's the thing, Sheila. I'm going to be devil's advocate here. Let's say that man-made climate change is a real thing. Let's say there is a really good case for carbon taxes and for, you know, stalling the development of fossil fuels in North America. Couldn't Prime Minister Trudeau and President Biden say, we subscribe to this, we believe this is real, but now is not the time to go down this route? Couldn't that give them an escape hatch in terms of reducing the effects of inflation, which are severe right now, and putting an end to the Russian war machine. Why won't they do this? Let's, and I hate to concede it, but let's concede it for the sake of argument that, you know, humans are increasing global warming because of our fossil fuel consumption. Let's, let's play devil's advocate here. Then you should be fracking. Um, we saw a substantial drop in American greenhouse gas emissions during the fracking renaissance that happened under President Donald Trump. 
uh, because natural gas is as clean burning as it gets. If you care about those sorts of things, I don't necessarily, but I like natural gas. Um, I think there should be all options on the table, natural gas, oil and gas, coal, methane, whatever. But the flip side of the argument is the demand is not going down for natural gas and oil. We know we do it cleaner and better here in North America. And I know right now there are Canadian and American expats working overseas who know exactly what I'm talking about. If you worked in a foreign oil and gas field in Kazakhstan, in Russia, um, in Africa, you know what the environmental standards are like there versus what happens here. So if you care about the environment, if even if you care about nat- uh, greenhouse gas emissions, then North America has to be the place where we do these things, where we drill and frack and produce the world's energy. And one last question to you, Sheila. I mean, I look at who... You know, the the people who are the face of the environmental movement these days, Greta Thunberg, David Suzuki, Al Gore. John Kerry. John Kerry, (laughs) yes, who's worried that the Ukraine invasion might be uh, a diversionary tactic away from the real war, the, the, the war on climate. And yet all of these people that I just mentioned, Sheila, when it comes to the hypocrisy of what they say and how they live, for example, Al Gore, I understand, I came across an article once upon a time, his carbon footprint is something like 28 times greater than the average American. Totally believable because when you live in a mansion and you fly everywhere by private jet, oh, you're darn rootin' tootin', you're going to have a Godzilla-sized carbon footprint. Why are we taking our moral cues? Why are we taking advice on energy policy from the biggest carbon hypocrites on the planet? You know, it's interesting because when they say that we need to reduce or live smaller or live greener, they mean we, not them. For example, uh, David Suzuki, he's got five kids, but he thinks there are too many people on the face of the earth. So he means that you and I should have fewer kids. We should be subject to population control, not them. You and I shouldn't be able to travel on an airplane, but John Kerry can take a private jet to fly to the UN Climate Change Conference. I've seen that firsthand. I'm supposed to ride a bike to get groceries. (laughs) These people can sit, have their drivers run their limo for hours so that while they wait on them at the climate change conference, so that it's a comfortable temperature for them to get in. This isn't about climate change. It has never been about climate change in much way, the same way that COVID was never really about controlling a disease. You are the disease they want to control and be it through climate change, carbon taxes, or COVID measures, they want to control you and how you live your life. Climate change is just the vehicle by which they do it. You're so right, Sheila. And I got to tell you, I was going to try to do my part for the planet today by riding my bike into work, but I just didn't want to freeze my ball bearings off. <clears throat> anyway, Sheila, thank you so much for your insight, and you have a great weekend, my friend. I will. You too, David. And if people want to sign my petition mm. that we will deliver to the American consulate in Calgary, right in the heart of oil country, calling on President Joe Biden to bring Keystone XL back online for the sake of his country and ours and freedom around the world, just go to buildkeystonexl.com. 
Fantastic. A worthy petition indeed. And folks, that was Sheila Gunn-Reed from somewhere in the northern hinterland of Alberta. Keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. By all means, there are certain places where it makes sense to have these types. Where you're in close contact, we're talking bus operators. Uh, we're on a mask, we have gloves, and we're behind a, a, a what we call a bio shield. Um, so we're not coming into close contact. And I guess one of the, the biggest uh, ironic things for us is we allow our passengers on. We're not allowed to ask for them for verification vaccination. Uh, but yet they put that type of bonus on us. So what we're asking is we're asking for city council to reconsider their position. We had a policy that was effective, that effectively kept everybody safe. Uh, and we're asking them to maintain the, the policy of allowing the option of testing. Tamara Ugolini with Rebel News bringing you another instance where a union is actually backing its members in respecting their right to bodily autonomy and medical privacy. It's a small union out of Hamilton, Ontario called ATU 107. That stands for Amalgamated Transit Union. Their president, Eric Tuck, represents approximately 800 transit professionals. They work primarily for the city-owned Hamilton Street Railway and bus operations. Collectively, they carry over 30 million people every year, and so far they have a fantastic safety record. On January 12th, 2022, the city of Hamilton came out with a new vaccine policy that gives city workers until May 31st to be fully vaccinated or provide proof of an approved medical exemption. Anyone who fails to do so will face termination as of June 1st, 2022. This news received attention with mainstream media at the end of January when veteran transit workers began to speak up and attest this vaxxed or be axed policy. Shortly thereafter, on February the 8th, Local 107 issued a press release challenging and condemning this policy. In this interview, I'm catching up with President Eric Tuck to discuss why he's backing his members, what he hopes to achieve, of course, by doing so, and then I will hear from him about the basis of this press press release. Let's check it out. We sent a press release out because our employer, the Hamilton Railway, uh, which is the city of Hamilton, has put out a mandate for a vaccination uh, mandatory policy, which... Up until now, we had been working with a, a vaccine verification policy, which you simply had to declare. Uh, and if you weren't willing to declare, because as you know, our medical information is private and should be uh, should have the right to keep that private. If our members wanted to keep that private, they would not have to declare. They would simply have to uh, participate in a short uh, education video and then participate in the rapid testing twice. This was a policy which we had agreed with. We felt it was reasonable, uh, given what we were going through with Omicron virus particularly. And so we, we went along with it. That was back in August. And then January, for some reason, the city of Hamilton decided that they would no longer be doing the testing. Uh, they gave us a deadline of May 31st. If our members were not fully vaccinated by that time, they would be terminated. We felt that that was extremely heavy-handed. Uh, it has the potential to violate several of our chartered rights, 
uh, as well as the Privacy Act of Canada, Ontario Human Rights, and our Chartered Rights. Based on that, we filed a mm -hmm. grievance. And you've had record turnout, from what I understand, to vote on on this procedure to continue with arbitration. Can you tell me what that's looked like with the members? Yeah, so we, we have a small local with about 800 members. And uh, normally for an arbitration vote, you would get maybe 50 or 60 members. Uh, this issue has been very polarizing for my membership. We had over 300 members come out and vote. That's how important it was to them. And the majority of the members, 55%, voted in favor of proceeding garbage uh, because they really felt that it was important that we defend members' rights and, and defend their jobs. Well, knock me down with a feather, for here we have a union that truly believes it should defend its members' rights and defend its members' jobs. Now, once upon a time, folks, that's what all unions used to do. Going to bat for the rank and file was actually the ostensible policy reason for a union to exist in the first place. But then COVID-19 and the COVID-19 vaccines came along and suddenly the majority of unions, be they private or public sector unions, marched in lockstep with management, which is to say they suddenly supported draconian policies that demanded workers get the jabs or those workers would lose their jobs. How weird is that? And joining me now for more on this story is Tamara Ugolini. How you doing there, Tamara? Hi, David. Well, I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing great, my friend. So, Tamara, it was delightful to see this Hamilton Transit Union actually support its members as opposed to, if you'll pardon the pun, throw them under the bus. As Mr. Tuck noted, the majority of the rank and file support this move. But before we get into ATC's fight with the city, I want to get your take on why it is that so many unions in Canada are on side with management when it comes to mandatory vaccination policies. Gosh, I wish I could make sense of it, David. I think that at the very beginning, you know, we've seen all, all across the COVID response, it's these knee-jerk, hysteria-driven, public polling responses um, that aren't evidence-based. And so I think that these companies feel like their hands are tied and they have to toe the line or they'll face some sort of uh, legal repercussion or reprimand for not doing so. Uh, as we've seen, you know, everything falls under the wayside in the name of health and safety. And so I guess they're trying, doing their best to uphold this. In the meantime, disregarding all of these other worker rights and things like personal choice and bodily autonomy. And one thing that I always note too under OSHA, the uh, Occupational Health and Safety um, legalities that are in place is that there has to be a, a explicit consent to medical surveillance. So not only just, you know, consenting to vaccination, but actually to have your records and your medical data surveilled by your employer. And so there's a lot of muddied waters here. And um, I, I think that unions were just trying to err on the side of caution by going so heavy-handed in this one direction. You know, the pendulum on all levels of government, union, and workplaces has swung so far on this one side that now, as we see, you know, it's bound to start to come back the other way. But, you know, Tamara, if I'm a member of a union and my union is taking the role of management, 
I'm saying to them, uh, why am I paying union dues? You're supposed to be fighting for my rights, not aiding and abetting a company that wants to terminate me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, I don't have the answers there. Uh, My husband was on the receiving end of one of these mandates from his union uh, who didn't back him whatsoever. And so... It seems to be few and far between, obviously, which is why I've featured. This is actually the second story that I've featured of a union backing its members. The first one was uh, sometime late 2021, where uh, one particular nurse had her grievance filed and backed by the Ontario Nurses Association. So that was really rare. And um, I haven't had an update from her yet. But another instance where, you know, we see these tides kind of turning that maybe these decisions weren't actually based on anything sort of concrete and and sound evidence. Yeah, and there doesn't seem to be any give and take, any negotiations, any communications. I remember Tamara going to um, the North uh, Toronto office of Unifor. I think that's the biggest private sector union in the country. And there was a demonstration there primarily by auto workers who faced uh, an axe if they didn't get jabbed or reveal their vaccination status. And the response by the president of Unifor, Jerry Diaz, was to send everybody home, lock the building, and call the police on his own membership who were peacefully protesting. And I'm again, uh, I, I don't understand this idea of unions going this direction because let's face it, Unions tend to be left of center, and if you're left of center, you're all about, um, well, let's look at what feminists have said for decades when it comes to abortion, my body, my choice. I guess, did that only apply to terminating a baby's life, Tamara, and it doesn't apply to anything else such as uh, experimental vaccines going into one's body? It would appear that way, sadly. Um It goes back to also, I have a a similar story, which I never ended up reporting on, but one of my other previous reports included a gentleman, maybe you remember, Joe McDonald, who um, was was removed from his workplace due to noncompliance with their mandatory testing policy at the time. He was part of the Iron Workers Union, so I don't remember the number and the number of the union, but nonetheless, he had a meeting. He so he found a new job, and then he went to a meeting where they were discussing to impose this this vaccine mandate, and it was very divided between the members. And there ended up being uh, like a physical altercation between the membership and some of their uh, union representatives. And yeah, the union reps, they locked the door and they called the police on these guys and they were trying to oppose and attest this mandate. So, I mean, that's the state of affairs here. Any dissenting voices, and we saw that in Ottawa, right? Anyone who is opposition or or dissenting, they get physically violently squashed. It's absolutely unbelievable at this point. And do you know what the added tragedy is for me, uh, Tamara, when it comes to unionized workers It's this. I really think being forced out of your work, fired with cause, not being entitled to employment insurance, uh, losing your benefits, pensions, we've heard it all. I really think there is incredible fodder there for a wrongful termination lawsuit. But as you know, and I don't know what your husband's uh, experience was, uh, Tamara, when you are 
part of a union, you surrender so many labor rights. There's only so much a labor lawyer can do to you because you're part of a, a collective bargaining agreement. Um, what's your take on that, uh, Tamara, the fact that legalistically there's so little that can be done for these people that are, I think, being wronged? Absolutely. I, I tend to agree. And the thing that, that's exhausting with the union is that you have to exhaust all of your union representation before you can seek outside counsel. So a lot of these members who've, you know, for instance, contacted Rebel or the Democracy Fund asking for assistance, they have to actually play this game and go through their union first and the union provided lawyer and exhaust all of that before they can seek outside counsel. So by the time it's all said and done and you go through all of these various levels of trying to get representation, I mean, this is months, maybe even years. Um, but as we're seeing now, you know, the provincial uh, medical officer of health here and more and, and all across Canada is now starting to rein back in these policies and these mandates. So it begs just to reason that I guess we terminated people's jobs and destroyed their livelihoods for, what, four months of enforcement of this heavy-handed policy that wasn't based on any data or science on a, an injection that doesn't prevent transmission or spread. I mean, I think at this point we need to really ensure that something like this doesn't happen again. And like you said, you know, we uphold the bodily autonomy, our right to my body, my, my choice. If we just hand that decision making over to the state, then what do we have left as individuals, if not choice in terms of what happens to our own sovereign bodies? Oh, 100%. Tamara, one last question. When it comes down to this Hamilton local, I'm just wondering how hopeful are you that they will succeed in their fight against the city as the clock ticks to that um, deadline in which to get vaccinated? And you said the words uh, just now, heavy-handed. When I think of heavy-handed, I do think of Hamilton. I don't know if you remember, last year I was covering a protest in Hamilton, and bylaw took a telephoto photograph of me uh, shaking hands with somebody. Evidently, that's a bylaw infraction in Hamilton. I was sent a $360 ticket. It's called an AMPS ticket, which means I can't even get a day in court. Uh, it was emailed to me. I have to pay it for being on in front of City Hall shaking somebody's hand. So what I'm getting at, it seems that Hamilton, uh, you know, the city fathers there are really entrenched in terms of uh, a very hard line towards uh, COVID-19 dissenters, if you want to call them that. So again, I guess the question is, what do you think the, um, the chances of success will be for this particular Hamilton union? Well, you know, in my conversation with Eric Tuck, it really sounded like he wasn't backing down and they had record turnout of their membership to vote on this. So I do, I have high hopes that he's not going to lay down and he seems to have really great uh, representation who has a lot of experience with advocating for uh, workers' rights. So like I've said, as we see that tide turn and that pendulum kind of swing back now and there not being the same justification for a mandate or a policy such as this, and certainly now there's no uh, government overstep into in terms of these directives and, and things that they put out for employers to mandate, there's none of that that the employers can just fall back on now and say, oh, well, we were just following orders. We were just following the provincial <clears throat> guidelines. Well, that's not in place anymore. So I do, I do have high hopes that they'll see uh, hopefully a backpedal on something like this. And again, I just hope that it never 
happens again. It should have always been choice. All of this should have just been left up to individual choice. Make your own risk assessment. If you want to stay home for the rest of your life and wear a mask, you know, while you shower, go for it. Let the rest of us get out there and live. 100 uh, percent, Tamara. And, you know, like we've said before, it's funny, before there was a COVID vaccine, people like bus drivers going to job every day, dealing with members of the public. They were the frontline heroes. And suddenly, if you don't take the vax now that it's available, you're a frontline zero. Uh, there's the exit. Absolutely despicable. Tamara, great job on this. Uh, let us know what the resolution is when it uh, comes to fruition, my friend. Certainly will do. Thanks, David. Thank you so much. And that was Tamara Ugolini in Coburg, Ontario. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Hey, sports fans. We finally have an update to the Patrick Brown Hockey Night in Brampton saga. Now, Brown is the man who was this close to becoming Ontario Premier until a palace coup orchestrated by his own party ousted him as leader of the Progressive Conservatives. Thank God. Brown is currently the mayor of Brampton, and like so many other cities during the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, Brampton's playgrounds and sports fields, well, they were close to the kids, but... Mayor Brown, well, he sneakily used a city-run ice facility so that he and his Barry buddies could play pickup hockey. <laughs> Talk about chutzpah. Now, for those who may have missed this outrageous example of one law for me and one law for thee, please check out the video evidence when we caught Brown red-handed. We're getting the bums rush, but... Holy mackerel, I think I see Patrick Brown himself. Oh, hey, how you doing? Mr. Brown, right? Yeah. David Manzi's a rebel news. You're in a, you're in a city facility? What's that? You're in a city facility? Yeah, so are yeah. you. Yeah. So, are you yeah. playing hockey here? Or? No, I'm just coming to check in our facility. So okay, I'm gonna, we're yeah. gonna check you. You're, you're not supposed to be here, actually. Okay. We were told that uh, you play pickup here. Mr. Brown, how come, uh, the kids in Brampton can only practice sports, but your buddies can play hockey. Yeah. So, um, I don't know why um, you are harassing people in the city of Brampton, but you shouldn't be. Oh, who's harassing who? Your, you, your, your guy handed out 122 bylaw violations in one week. Mr. Brown, why is there a hockey game going on in this arena? I thought you're only allowed to uh, practice sports, not play them. And who is paying the $1,000 a day, Mr. Brown, for this rink? Mr. Brown, are these taxpayer dollars being used for your buddies to play hockey on this rink? Or are you paying it? Or perhaps we'll lead Solomon. So Mr. Brown, why is it one law for me and one law for thee in this city? Mr. Brown? Wow, talk about two minutes for egregious hypocrisy. But here's the thing, folks. Even when we caught Brown breaking provincial mandates and his own city's bylaws, 
Mayor Brown didn't care. He kept playing hockey on a weekly basis. So it was that we kept showing up at the Earnscliff Recreation Centre to query the mayor as to why children were forbidden to set foot on a baseball diamond or a soccer field, yet he could play ice hockey to his heart's content. Well, he didn't like those questions, and instead of providing answers, Mayor Brown called the cops? Oh, yeah. Check out this footage from September 2020. Spoiler alert, I arrived at the rink's parking lot in an SUV. I left sitting in the back of a police cruiser. Check it out. You wanted to leave that? Arrest him or go away? You, you said that there's two Arrest him or go away, mate. Just arrest him. Okay, arrest him or go away. Okay, let's do that. This is... I get, I get all this the... Is, all right, they arrested David Menzies. I get all the disease. in the car right now. Amazing. So while Patrick Brown was breaking the rules by playing shinny indoors, I was arrested for practicing journalism outdoors. My crime? Trespassing. Yeah, somehow I was trespassing on the parking lot of a taxpayer-funded rec facility. How is that even a thing? Well, as it turns out, practicing journalism upon the parking lot of a taxpayer-funded facility is not a thing. After all, despite what Mayor Brown and some members of the Peel Regional Police believed, and thanks to the efforts of our Ottawa-based legal eagle, David Amber, those ludicrous trespassing charges were indeed tossed in a court of law. The reason? Well, Mr. Amber convinced the Crown that there was no reasonable prospect of prosecution. And really, how could there be? Bottom line, Rebel News wins again, whereas that unlovable loser, Patrick Brown, suffers yet another humiliating loss. Loving it! In any event, you had plenty to say about Mayor Brown thinking he was above the law and then using law enforcement as his own Praetorian Guard to shut down independent media. Dave Kay writes, The hypocrisy throughout the last couple of years has been overwhelming. If these politicians and bureaucrats are not taking the supposed pandemic seriously, then we know it's not really serious. You nailed it, Dave. I think the fact that pompous politicians like Patrick Brown were so often caught breaking the rules that they were telling everyone else to follow is actually a good news story from a virus perspective, which is to say, if Brown really thought he was going to endanger his life playing hockey, well, there's no chance he would have gone to that rink in the first place. It's too bad this sociopath prevented everyone else in Brampton from enjoying sports, too. But then again, the past two years has not been about controlling the virus. It's rather been about controlling the populace by taking away people's rights and freedoms. I want the 80s back, writes, Brown has always been a weasel and... Tunk Althea writes, Sneaky Mayor Patrick Brown, a major clown. Gentlemen, gentlemen, please kindly retract these defamatory statements. I mean, how dare you insult the fine, upstanding members of the weasel and clown communities? Gypsy Lil writes, 
If Mr. Menzies was charged for trespassing because of a civic lockdown, did the police also charge Mr. Brown along with all the others at the rink for trespassing? No, they did not, uh, Gypsy Lil. Talk about political privilege. Talk about one law for me, one law for thee. Felix Culpa writes, I love the fact that his hockey sweater number is zero. Oh, actually, Felix, take a closer look. His number is double zero. Talk about truth in advertising. Then again, now that I think of it, maybe negative one trillion would be a more appropriate number given the awful character attributes of this degenerate. Voice of Reason writes, Patrick Brown is already being talked about as running for the upcoming federal conservative leadership race. He is dishonest and lacks integrity. This incident proves it. And besides, he is no conservative, just another liberal light, which the conservative party does not need after two of them, Shear and O'Toole, back to back. Well, Voice of Reason, I've heard those rumors too, but I would say this that the odds of Patrick Brown becoming the new leader of the Conservative Party of Canada would make even the most reckless gambler cringe. But if the highly improbable were to come to fruition, the end result would simply be this. Number one, as leader, Brown would make Conservative supporters pine for the glory days of Aaron O'Toole. And secondly, Justin Trudeau will win his fourth election. Oh, death, where is thy sting? And finally, YRCRC Fabrications writes, Personally, I find Menzies nothing but nauseating and annoying, but he was right, and I'm glad that the bogus charges were tossed. Well, there you have it, folks. Even when my haters are on side with this ruling, you know that Patrick Brown truly crossed a line. Hopefully, come fall, Bramptonians will send a message to this lying liar, this losing loser, this crying crybaby, this shameless skirt chaser, which is to say, please, folks, give Patrick Brown the boot. You deserve better, much, much better. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.